Welcome everyone to High Tech on the Low. Riggs, how are you this morning? I'm doing great here in Clearwater. It's finally cooling down, so it's a good it's a good thing. Amazing, amazing. We're here, episode 106, here with Riggs Eckleberry, CEO and founder of Origins Clear. We're going to get into the world of water and investments and all that kind of sort of fun stuff with the resources that are very important to our lives and our planet and, and everything in between. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. And as always, we are sponsored by Front Team and JB Upscale with 3,000 members and a dedicated marketing team, all here ready to help you grow and uh, take your adventure to the next level. And as always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please throw us a like, subscribe, view, follow, whatever it is. We appreciate it. So Riggs, you know, we're going to get into this world right now. I'd first love for you to just tell us a little bit about, you know, what is Origin Clear? What are we talking about today when we talk about uh, Origins Clear? Right. So just to set the stage a little bit, I came out of high tech and um, I was crazy enough to want to be a CEO. The uh, This was <laughs> back in early 2007. Um, and the fund I was talking to said, well, we don't do tech anymore. We're doing green. Green was hot back then. Okay. Um, you know, it was uh, just prior to the big crash um, of 2000. Sure. And anyway, so oil prices were super high, $120, and it was the right time to do um, our first mission, which was algae for biofuels, and um, which basically I took my whole high-tech disruption mentality and I said, okay, we're going to disrupt the algae space and make this thing. Okay. Uh, okay, very interesting. It's But here's the thing about disruption. You've got to have the right terrain for it, right? For example, uh, if uh, oil prices crash to below fifty dollars, you don't have a model, right? So right, uh, you don't have anything at that point, exactly. right? And so we had a great run until about two thousand fourteen. Sure, we really decided that algae was going to be a science experiment for a long time to come. Mm -hmm. Ironically, it's actually coming back. The 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 uh, the quote unquote oil price crap. Uh, crap uh cap had <laughs> sounds like you, there was a little bit of a freudian slip there we know what it was so don't worry the oil price <laughs> cap has been blown away the oil right. prices are going back up no more strategic reserve uh okay etc cetera, etc cetera. so maybe this hope for algae yet but our mission you know um changed we pivoted into water because we our technology was well suited for extracting sewage from water okay the problem was of course that the water industry is super super uh change averse Right. And very, very legacy model, from what I understand, very traditionally based, a lot of kind of slow moving parts as well. Hard to adapt, I would say, to innovation. Yes. Uh, you know, and traditionally, the two reasons, number one, of course, they have a public health mission. But number two, in the first part of the 20th century, there was a huge amount of public works, you know, Hoover Dam, the, the Delaware um, aqueduct system in New York that was so brilliant. These were like major centralized. And, and the philosophy back then, I mean, I spent years and years in L.A. with those concrete rivers they're always empty um that uh -huh. was the mentality build big build concrete make it central all right and pool all the resources that was the mainframe right. mentality um of the 60s and early 70s um of course with the pc revolution the cell phone revolution all these things energy everything has become decentralized and that's a good thing because starting in 1960 water infrastructure stopped being replaced and it's been degrading ever since. Uh, money spent on operational maintenance has risen, 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 while capital expense has stayed flat or dropped and is way behind. And now- So basically the central forces right now, what you're saying in terms of managing our public works, managing public resources are essentially not doing their job. They can't because they don't have the money. 
Right. So they just don't have the money and we need, in a sense, private, uh, you know, sponsors, private businesses, private sector or whatever it might be to actually do this. Is that what you're kind of getting to? Yeah. Well, the one point two trillion dollar uh, infrastructure bill that was passed a couple of years ago, one two thousandth of it was water, 55 billion. So it's like, OK, what are you going to do with that? That's less than one year's backlog. So right. forget that what we need to do was, OK, we need the centralized system, just like today we're using mainframes. They're called the cloud, but it's still mainframes. But sure. they are not the frontline processing that's being done by PCs. And so that's very similar here is let's unload the, the uh, central infrastructure, do the heavy lifting where the water is being made dirty. Right. Um, got industrial polluters and the agricultural polluters right. who are just sending the water merrily to the city and the city's overwhelmed. And it's here's a result. It's serving the people badly. Right. Mm -hmm. the people are only 10 percent of the load. Um, and they would be better served if we got industry off the 90% off the grid, which is our mission. So in a sense, kind of separating between the public and industry when it comes to water use. Right. And so industry, of course, is the elephant in the room because of that 90% usage, which in the U.S. is roughly half and half between industry and agriculture. Go to Somalia, it'll be 90% agriculture, but in the U.S. is about evenly balanced. Um, sure. So there's an opportunity here. And it turns out that business users like being off the grid because, number one, uh, they have control over water rates. Did you know that water and sewage rates are inflating as fast as college tuition? I did not know that. Why is that? Well, it's because they're trying to make up the deficiency with rate increases. That they're not making like that they're not making room for in their budgets, basically, from what you're from right. What so you're there's, there's no budget. The federal government has basically stopped um, funding things. Uh, not enough um, contributions from local tax rates, et cetera. It's just way not enough. And so utilities are doing the next best thing. They keep raising rates, but now this is increasing defaults. And they themselves, by survey, know that they can't solve the problem with water rates. But nonetheless- So they aren't even keeping up with their own rates, basically, oh. in that sense. Wow, this is like a giant rat wheel of just a mess. So where do you guys come in to make the order here, I guess, and kind of organize the system so that it helps, you know, at the end of the day, the end user, the guy on the ground who's just wanting to, you know, take a glass of water from the tap? First, there was chaos, and then we brought order. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it always works. Right. right? <laughs> okay. So, um, well, number one, of course, if they go off grid with their own system, now they have control over their water and sewage rates. Right. Mm -hmm. So sewage, for starters, they're treating their own water and they have a predictable cost. Number two, they can recycle, which lowers their incoming water rates. And it's better for the drought zones. It's a better all around right. for recycling, which America does not do. America does not recycle mm -hmm. water. And number three, there's this there's basic autonomy from pesky regulatory pressures. As long as they meet permit requirements, they can just go ahead and, and filter it into the groundwater, which is beneficial. And they're on their own. It's fine. So it's popular. And we spent from 2018 onward building a business around downscaling utility uh, grade water systems to the corner of a brewery where there's only 150 square feet. We did that. We have a booming business doing that. Um, mm -hmm. That is well differentiated in the market, you know, proprietary tech and so forth. But with the beginning of COVID, we realized that we needed to do more because Currently, the people who are do going off the grid are people who don't have a capital issue. Well, there's a whole right. waiting room of people who don't have capital, 
uh, and it's going to get worse, in my opinion. I think capital uh, right. access is going to get tougher and tougher. Um, and so- well, I was going to say it's the 90% of the 10% probably at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And we're talking about a major part of the the kind of, you know, the populace there who isn't going to be able to just afford to go off grid tomorrow and say, okay, I got my water all good, right? You know, oh, we're not, the we're day, not touching they- the 10%, right? Right. Hey, why, why touch the 10% when you can touch the 90%? Um, what I'm talking about is the ni- the part of the 90% that has not yet come to our conventional teams in Texas and Virginia and said, I want a system. I got you. Because they don't have the money. They can't, they're just living with fines and and uh, the city telling them to truck the water to another county. And they're just being harassed because, they, you know, breweries, craft brewery doesn't have a million dollars sitting around for a water treatment system. They're making beer, right? Right. And so- of course. What we realized is, especially because of the beginning of COVID, everybody thought that the world was ending February 2020. We didn't know there was going to be a CARES Act. We didn't know anything. And we felt that the capital problem was going to be immense. It's just happening now, three years later, but that's a separate socioeconomic story. What we realized is we needed to put in place um, a water as a service so that if I decide to go off the grid, I sign a service contract, a machine shows up that's not mine, and I keep paying on the meter like I'm used to on a long-term service contract, and investors buy that machine, have a lien on it, but it's placed remotely, and we manage it. Interesting. So what we can call the WAS, right, the water as a as a service system here. So it's basically you guys, what it looks like in, in practice here is that you guys provide a machine that essentially gets these guys off the grid, but essentially, in a sense, also connects them to the grid because they're still paying their water, you know, the the amount that they would be paying every month, but now just based off of your system's calculation. Correct. Now, typically, they still get their fresh water from the city because that's easy. They can build a well if they want to, but very few do. Because water, um, incoming water is pretty um, reliable and it's just a simple water pipe. Um, so they typically stay on the municipal system for the fre- incoming freshwater. They do a better job of conserving it, of course. So when we take over, we get the, the treatment, we get the conservation, and we get the, um, the responsible disposal of the water all offsite. Wow, that's, uh, I mean, a pretty incredible service, I would say. Also pretty revolutionary in terms of actually turning, you know, kind of an everyday resource, a commodity like that, you know, into um, more of a service-based industry. I think it's pretty revolutionary. How was it when you first came to, you know, investors and tried to explain this model to them? Because I feel like it's pretty hard to tell people, hey, listen, we're going to take you off the water grid. Okay, we're going to give you our own machine. All right. Don't worry. It's all good. We're still we're still here with you. You know, then not only that, we're going to let you keep paying basically in the same way you would normally. But it's not your machine. And basically, this is a whole decentralized thing. And actually, there are investors who basically bought this machine and put a lien on it. How does that sound? You know, how, how did people respond to that? It seems very hard for someone who's not used to this type of system to stomach. That's very well put. There's two problems. The first one is with the end user. Currently, um, our teams are slammed dealing with the conventional, hey, I've got the budget, build me a system. So that mm-hmm. current wave, which you might call the strategic buyers, um, you know, before the wholesale adoption, that yeah, I, sure. I'm an inside the tornado geek and there's a whole thing about, you know, strategic buyers eventually turning into mass adoption. But um, mm-hmm. so right now we've got the strategic buyers, there's plenty of them. You know, these are you know, RV campgrounds, freeway rest stops, um, mobile home parks, housing developments. Sure. From Dallas to the Oklahoma border, there's a land boom going on. 
and uh-huh. they, the, the the developers are racing ahead of the sewage. They just know there's not there's no pipes, and so right. so they're they're putting in these self sufficient systems, and we're doing that. So it's booming, great. Now, but the second part is, like you say, oh, so I sign a contract and I just sit back. Right, like everything's okay now. Is right. that how it works? So, right. So you that, know? that is a that is a job, and, and our division, which is called Water on Demand, that does that is just beginning and what we've learned is we have to come in really early in the process when the client first starts talking to a consulting engineer and goes i got a water problem and we've talked to consulting engineer and he goes there's there's an alternative right early 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 and it gets into the discussions now all water projects take time one of the things about going from high tech to something like this is i had to learn to live with multi-year projects as opposed okay. to software. <laughs> right. Or multi-day projects, right? You know, right. as opposed to that, right? You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, you start something in May and you launch it in Labor Day. Boom, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> not in water, it sounds no, like. not in water. Right. But so that process has begun. But um, so that's the, that's the end user side. But it's just a, it's just a process of, of getting to a new audience. You know, I, I've seen marketers describe this as you've got, you know, out of a total uh, spectrum of, 100% addressable market. You got the 10 or 15% that are currently demanding, demanding, demanding. But the people to focus on, yeah, you pick those guys up, are the the, the next 15, 20% who are immediately prospective, right? Mm. They're the ones that are that could be brought into it. They're ready, but there's an issue like capital or uh, credibility or education or whatever that, that trips them. In. And that's the next market that a good marketer goes after because it's easy to sweep up the existing demand. It's hard right. work, but intellectually it's not hard because you just say, here, I got it. Their need is bigger at the end of the day. They understand the process, but those other guys, they need to be brought into the fold. And, and you mentioned, so like RV parks and kind of like the developers are your like kind of in a sense that the, the first market we can say, the ones who are easier to pick up. Sure. Who is this kind of secondary market we can say in your mind? Is this more the breweries? Is this more the restaurants? Uh, no, it, it is still the same kind of users, but ah, okay. but they're just more conservative. They're they're they don't have the capital perhaps, or they're not quite ready. Uh, that you know the people we're dealing with right now have a burning need. They the, enough of of the fines. Like for example, one of our early mobile home parks, we you know the 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 owners were like desperate because they were being fined heavily by the Alabama Department of Environmental Protection, and, okay. and they wanted to sell the trailer park, and they couldn't until they met code, and they could find they could find no one to help them. We were the only people who were willing to do it, and so um, wow. they were like, okay, help us, and they lived through it um, and got it done, sold their trailer park. This is good because actually they're personal friends of mine, so thank God that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a definitely a plus. I mean, it's it's interesting to me too. Like when they brought in this system, were their tenants? I guess, I guess you would call them tenants, right? Were they, um, you know, were they impacted? Did they feel any difference, or was it just kind of like business as usual? It's really only the upper management that felt it. It was transparent because what what the trailer park had was um, a stat. What's called um, passive treatment, which means a pond where you dump all the shit. That's passive treatment. Okay, okay, uh, sure. And that's what the Department of Environmental Protection was trying to clean up because trailer parks all over the mission, all over the Southeast mainly are, they all still, many, many of them still have that and they're trying to force an upgrade. So what we did is we simply started treating the pond so that the wa- the water outflows would meet permit requirements to go into the groundwater 
Mm. This life didn't change for the residents. They their their plumbing still sent stuff to the pond, but the pond not only got treated, but it got healthier. It was no longer gungy green. It's right. So maybe there was an aesthetic improvement that happened, uh, but mainly it was the fact that now it was permitted. Um, and by the way, there was no way to connect to the city or county. It was too far. So okay. had to do something. So you guys actually offered them that ability in that sense. Exactly. Right. Now, so those are the people who are already, they're, they're doing it. They know they got to do it. They'll live through the pain. Um, and, you know, like another trailer park, they literally um, brought in an equity uh, shareholder to pay for the system we put in because they didn't, didn't have the capital. So they literally gave up equity in the mobile home park in order to equip it to code. So th those people are doing it no matter what. What we're now, and 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 we don't want to let go of that business. Be why? Because it's growing fast. We we doubled our business from 21 to 22, which is huge in the water industry. Doubling your business is like, you know, like double, sure. doubling your real estate developer's business is like, that's a lot. Um, For sure. So that is good and we're going to maintain it. Um, meanwhile, the this new business is far larger. For two reasons. Number one, it's a bigger it's a bigger cohort, right? There's a lot more people who don't have money than, than have money. We know that. Sure. Number two, um, these are the, um, the 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 GM financial to GM model is very profitable, right? So we bring in water on demand to finance these things. Our profits improve tremendously. The water equipment business is low margin, right? Just like the car business, this is low sure. margin. And it's very competitive and a lot of carpet baggers and a lot of fighting and blah, blah, blah. So, but the finance thing is pretty insulated and that's very profitable as GM showed. So we believe that, and also you can grow finance faster than you can grow water systems. So of course, our projections, water on demand has dramatically more potential and we can delegate the building of systems to local water companies that'll be right. delighted to do it. And we'll basically gradually move away from building every machine ourselves and being more and more into the network management and the financial side. Right, and you become much more, as you said, kind of a service-based, you know, ma making sure the maintenance kind of, of the of the machines as opposed to really taking full ownership of the system. And also, I think in a certain way, you bring these, uh, these you know, utility companies or whoever it might be back into the system and kind of being your partners. I think it's very unique in that sense. I, I, I find this whole, you know, your whole kind of, ecosystem idea very unique very interesting and and kind of appealing especially when you kind of hear all these you know innovations in the world when it's kind of like wait look this is just like a problem really right outside your front door and it's not like truly in a sense totally reinventing the wheel it's like making the process better and i want to know kind of where did you come up with this you know concept in terms of pivoting there because you mentioned at the start yes you were in algae it seemed like you know that that wasn't the the right you know path so you had to pivot but what was it that gave you that in that insight that yes you know water is the future and i need to kind of go into this space go into the decentralization of the resource to actually help people and, and make a business out of it right well, we didn't initially think about decentralization. Uh, we we were thinking in the early days. We were thinking pure technology. We're, we have technology. We're going to license the technology. What forced us away from that model was the fact that the water industry is is technology averse, and it takes mm -hmm. twelve to fifteen years to get adoption of new technology. And I just didn't have the time nor the finance for it. Sure. And so, okay. like, and there's many technologies that are kind of marooned in the water industry because of that problem. So we decided, you know what? And I went ahead and, and um, moved that technology away from that technology model, 
my inventor brother who came up with it took it and ran with it. He, he he's had a great run licensing it to oil companies for fracking. Very, you know, he's done well, but it's not the scale that I needed, that that Origin Clear needed as a public company. It just wasn't the model. So what to do instead? Well, the first thing we did was we said, okay, let's start buying water companies, right? Just because that's what water people do is they grow through sure. buying. And we we then acquired a really fantastic um, engineered solutions company in McKinney, Texas, that does decentralized um, installations, but for very large customers, power plants, okay. uh, 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 car manufacturers. So major industry players. Right. In People okay. like, right. for example, we know that this year PepsiCo committed to 80% recycling of their process water. Well, to do that, they must have their own system. They can't try mm-hmm. and get the city to do it. So that's the high end, which means it's onesie twosies done by hand. And they do a great job of that. They're booming. They're working hard. It's great. But that wasn't enough. So starting in 2016, uh, I started looking at the decentralization model. I realized this is where the entire market is going. And by 2018, I started shopping for um, a resource and and I was started talking to an amazing guy named Dan Early who had been doing this for 15, 20 years before when decentralization wasn't even like, he was just laboring in the in the desert, right? And And we, uh, he at the time had a company in Virginia. Eventually that company ran out of funds because, you know, once you've done your SBA loan, what do you do? So it's very hard for small companies to do innovative things, but that's a whole mm-hmm. other podcast. Um, and so what he, uh, he came along and said, you know, hey, let's start a division. And we built modular water systems, the, the, this compact uh, water system in a box division around him. And so that that was what we were, you know, and it's now starting to eclipse the McKinney operation, right? Uh, because it's scalable. You know, you've got standardized boxes as opposed. Well, it's like what you said. The financing part is always bigger when people, when you can give people the the kind of the access, right? As opposed to the tech, you you do a lot more, and you can, and it's it kind of a smaller, you know, threshold. Now, also along those lines, you know, obviously this this whole decentralization push in general in the world. Did you look at blockchain? Did you look at, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, cryptocurrencies, NFTs? I don't know. You know, all the world of the decentralized stuff that we all hear today. Is that related at all here? Or is it really just the system that you guys are using? Yes. Well, I got very excited about blockchain 2018, like everyone else, and uh, and we actually pioneered. Um, something called WaterChain, which is a blockchain solution, but it never really got out of the lab because we couldn't figure out a, a what, what's what's the price of water. It varies mm. immensely, right, from twenty five dollars right. an acre foot all the way up to two thousand plus. So what do you do? Um, and so we put it on the shelf, and now the development of paper gallon gives us each gallon has money attached to it, right? There's an income flow, mm-hmm. and then you pay dividends to the investors, and that you can tokenize. And so that is the new concept of what we call dollar H2O, which is a dividend product um, that people can then receive via via as, as a token. It's a security token, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And then they can uh, transfer it to other people. Here, take take all my future dividends and I'll sell it to you for X amount. Um, that That is a wonderful model. Um, and for now, we're, it's a matter of focus. We just can't do it right now. And especially since the SEC doesn't love it. So we're like, you know what? Put it on the back shelf for now. It's for, sure. for now we can use ACH. So now what we're really dealing with is 
we, we figure we really figured out the whole end user side and it's going well. Mm -hmm. What we're working on now is investors because it took us a, quite a while. It took us about two years to develop the water on demand model um, because, for example, initially I was thinking, well, we'll have investors take directly purchase a water system in Dubuque, a brewery system in Dubuque. Boom. Uh -huh. The problem with that is, is that you have a patchwork of regulations around um, asset ownership that are just really hard to deal with. And so instead sure. we went with the master limited partnership model that the oil industry uses, which is um, a basket of, of these um, produ production, like an MLP has pipelines and gas. What's better, it diversifies at yeah. the end of the day. Listen, it gives you as an investor a lot more sense of, you know, less risk at the end of the day. And also it makes it a little bit more easy for you to package it okay. at the end of the day as an investment tool. But the thing that, that we lost, which we liked at first was the depreciation capability, which we made up then since the company is taking the depreciation, then we give people equity stake in addition to their royalties in water on demand. So the water on demand investment is an equity stake in Origin Clear, an equity stake in the private company water on demand and royalties in perpetuity as long as the fund operates, plus warrants. It's a beautiful package, um, very generous because it's so early stage. And people like it because they go, oh, it's water like an oil well. It's it's right. an MLP model, but it's not oil, it's water. How cool is that, right? So people like it. Well, I like it. You know, it's clear if I go by the name, right? You know, so <laughs> I had to do it. I had to. But, um, you know, I, I want to say, you know, Riggs, it's, it's, it's quite refreshing to talk to someone like yourself in the sense that, you, you know, it's this very, you know, you're really taking a legacy industry and you're really uh, changing it and flipping it up on its head, I would say. And I would love to, you know, now, now that we're getting to the end of the episode, I'd love to just hear from you, you know, as an entrepreneur who also, you know, has a background before Origins Clear, and we, and we talked about that briefly in our, in our intro call. How is it, you know, in terms of what was your advice um, for people, you know, in a similar position, maybe starting their own startup or going into business, maybe even into water specifically, what's some, you know, what's your like top piece of advice, let's say for them going into it? Well, okay. So the number one thing is expertise, right? If you're not an expert yourself, then, then acquire the expertise. We finally did that correctly. We, I didn't do that in the early algae days. Um, so the smart thing would have been being a public company. I could go ahead and use my currency to buy an existing algae company and get all this expertise. Instead, I tried to develop it in house. That was very painful. Um, since then, as I say, when we brought in that water guru, Dan Early, boom, we were experts in decentralized water equipment, just like that. So the number one thing is be sure that you're either yourself a domain expert, which is hard, or that you bring in expertise because you're going to have to be sharp. You cannot be, it, it's, the minute you step into a market, you step into what I call the clutter ghetto, right? Which is all this stuff going on crazy around you. How do you differentiate? Well, the very first and foremost thing you do is your competence. How good are you at what you do? That, right. That's key, number one. And number two, you've got to be willing to experiment, right? So, uh, and, you know, the try and fail model. So, which I years ago branded as mistake-based marketing, which is try, 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 <laughs> try, try. Okay. And and eventually you you break through and you reinforce what works and you're, you're off and running. But the final thing is think about the capital, especially if you're doing something disruptive, you're going to need capital. You're not, it's very hard to self-fund something that is from zero to a hundred. Um, it's easier from it's 90 to a hundred. That's much easier. Like incremental models, you can cash flow. Disruptive model uh, that requires capital. Think that through because um, that's where I've stubbed my toe in the past. 
I'm very proud of our investors. They're rock stars. Amazing. Amazing. Riggs, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a little bit about what you guys are doing. I'm very excited to also follow your developments coming forward. And I just appreciate you uh, being on here and sharing with us. Jordan, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, let's check in. Uh, we got big things going on. So maybe in six months or a year, we'll talk again. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Riggs. Thank you.